everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Built on Hope, a podcast about Imperial Assault. So, sorry we haven't been around for a little bit. I'm sure you can all understand why, but please rest assured we are all fine, and we're hoping to give you an episode to kind of take your mind off of some of the things going on in the world today. All right, so David, who do we have on today? Today we have Chris Emick from IACP. And he's going to talk a lot about how some of the recent Asmodee announcements and things will affect the future of Imperial Assault, Organized Play, and IACP in general. We also pick his brain about what's the process like for developing a new season and what's his experience been in running IACP from the beginning. Yeah, there's a little bit of the behind the curtain interview in this episode and I think they are also looking for feedback regarding what we all want as a community from organized play and also what types of releases are the most well received. And as a reminder if you want to get in contact with us you can email us at builtonhopeia at gmail.com or you can catch us on the Zion's Finest Slack. We have our own Built on Hope channel over there. And IACP as well has their own channel in the Zion's Finest Slack. And you can also find all their information on their website at ia-continuityproject.com. But before we get into that, some news. Okay, so as all of you probably know, Imperial Assault World Championships were cancelled along with Adepticon. Uh, fortunately, Noah over at the IA Command YouTube channel has decided to run a stay-at-home worlds, which everyone was invited to participate in. That's happening this Saturday, actually. And on Sunday, we will also hold the IACP Regional Championship, which was planned for Adepticon as well. So Isaac will be running that one, and hopefully we'll see you there. I know it's a little short notice. Some of you may have already been to this event by the time you listen to this podcast. In terms of Adepticon, I've also been in contact with a couple of the folks there, and ticket refunds are well underway. So you have the option of either donating all of the money to Adepticon in order to fund future events, or you can have all of the funds refunded and applied as cart credit for next year. There's also a third option where you can have your VIP swag bag and any other items purchased at Adepticon shipped out to you. So on the website and in the emails currently, it says that they only do domestic shipping within the United States, but I have confirmed that they will do international shipping later on. Uh, you just have to email Adepticon and tell them that's what you're looking for. All right. Now, for all of you that are hoping to play in the IACP regional that is happening online, the Vassal version that you want is version 12.3.3. That is the most recent version, and that's the one that you will need to have in order to be in the event this weekend. Also, the IACP Testing League for Season 3, the Testing League number 2, has just started this past Monday, the 23rd of March. And so we've got some feedback from Chris about what he's been noticing from the community, but keep on testing those things out and making sure that Season 3 is the best it can possibly be. Okay, and finally, we've got the Asmodee. During an interview with Team Covenant, the words, the story of Imperial Assault is not over, were said. We'll be talking a lot more about this in the rest of the episode, so stay tuned. All right, so we are here with Chris Emick, who will put on the IACP hat for us today, as we've got a ton of things to talk about. As a lot of you have probably heard, Steve Horvath from Asmodee, in an interview with Team Covenant, has recently stated that the tale of Imperial Assault is not done. Uh, and since we are running Imperial Assault Worlds this year, after Adepticon was canceled alongside IACP events, that'd be a great chance to get Chris on and to tell us 
what he thinks of all of this and how it may affect IACP and how we'll all interact with it in the future. Thanks for having me, David. I, I really appreciate it. So starting with my overall personal opinion about the announcement, I am equal parts excited and disappointed. <laughs> I, I'm excited because FFG has done such a great job with Imperial Assault. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this IACP project if it wasn't a great game, if it wasn't such a, what a, a, such a unique competitive experience as far as the skirmish side is concerned. But I'm also kind of disappointed because I was expecting this, I was expecting Imperial Assault to kind of ride off into the sunset and be something that Fantasy Flight could build on to other games with, but not necessarily come back to. And, and since now they're interested in coming back to uh, Imperial Assault, that makes that makes running a fan project like this a lot more difficult than what it was. There's always a problem with intellectual property, right? And what could be termed fair use and what isn't fair use. And that's something that we've always been kind of tiptoeing carefully around. We don't want to make anybody upset. We definitely don't want Fantasy Flight or Asmodee to feel like we're taking money out of their pockets, right? Because we don't, we definitely don't want to, we want those people to stay employed, to, to make more great games and, and, and do the things that they love to do. Definitely. So I was actually really surprised to hear this announcement. It kind of came out of nowhere and, and they were talking now about how Imperial Assault sells really well. And they even mentioned, you know, that we've got such a hardcore, very loyal holdout community. I, I wonder almost if IACP had some influence on their decision in this way. Yeah, I wish. I <laughs> that would that would make me uh, that would make me very happy if they could point to our project and say, yeah, we we have people out there that really care. Yeah, so I thought it was really surprising because the announcements from FFG and Asmodee before this seemed very final. They definitely felt like they were wrapping up, you know, IA, putting a bow on it. This is a complete line. We think it's finished. I mean, the rest of us were like, okay, the whole complete line is kind of a bit bullshit and you're just giving that as an excuse. Business reasons, yeah, whatever. But uh, it definitely felt very final. So that was quite shocking, right? They had this whole thing about, oh, this is the final worlds and had that kind of being a big hype. So I found this really, really surprising myself. And I'm with you, Chris, as well. I am excited because also as a campaign player, I would love for them to make new content. For example, we love the app campaign, but I'm completely with you. I think IACP has a lot to offer with the community because we're, we are the players. It's made by the players. And so it's kind of something that is a passion project. We can do the things that we like with it as a community. And so, yeah, I, I find that this is a bit awkward and we'll see what they do with Skirmish and how we move forward. The interesting thing to me, I mean, we'll learn about this eventually, like somebody, you know, there will be an industry magazine that will publish an article five or 10 years from now. It'll be the background on Imperial Assault, you know, the oral history or whatever. And we'll find out what exactly changed. Right there. You know, the of course, the rumors have always been that there's some sort of legal brouhaha between Hasbro and Fantasy Flight about right. Imperial Assault. We know that it prevented Imperial Assault materials from being sold on Fantasy Flight websites or even at like the official FFG uh, stores. Uh, we know that there was there's been concerns about the profit margin, which we felt like was due to some sort of a legal agreement where Hasbro was was getting something again these are all just speculation you know from from what people have rumored mongered on the internet and when ffg had their big video reveal of the future like what was it back in like uh october or november or whatever and basically said that they felt like imperial salt was a was a complete product that felt like the direction that they had been going 
in for some time. Now, the main designer, I, I, uh, was it Navarro or or I can't remember what his can't remember what his first and last name is. Um, he left the company, and then uh, they've done a bunch of shuffling around, and now they have a new direction with Imperial Assault. So it'll be interesting to see. And we also know, again, getting back to kind of the rumor mongering stuff. We also know that Disney and Hasbro redid their licensing agreement for board games with Hasbro. And you got to wonder if something like that affected uh, Fantasy Flight's decision that maybe a door opened for them so that Imperial Assault could continue. So I think very interestingly, uh, as Jessica said earlier, they did say that this was going to be the final organized play event and that the the world championships would would be it. And I I haven't actually seen anything in that interview that indicates this is not the case because he does talk about how a lot of these games are can sort of, you know, last for a long time. I think um they they even mentioned Imperial Assault maybe one of these evergreen games, but they they did point out that they don't think every game needs constant content and releases in order to stay relevant. And if that's how they're looking at Imperial Assault, I think it's very hard to run a really good and dynamic competitive play scene if you only have content every couple of years. Yeah, and uh, and what was revealed in that, that the most recent interview with the Asmodee rep- representative was there will be Imperial Assault content, but it is several years down the road. So that opens up a possibility to many different avenues. You're looking at uh, a potential complete rework on an IA 2.0. They did something similar with uh, Descent, where they reissued a lot of the – they did a brand-new core set. Uh, they've done that recently with X-Wing. So that could be – that could be one avenue that they pursue. They could they could be pursuing, you know, keeping it in the current standard of the current uh, Imperial Assault version, but only developing specific types of components, like focusing on raid uh, missions and campaigns and not necessarily looking at skirmish. Because from a miniature figure standpoint, they don't consider Imperial Assault a miniatures game any longer. Uh, one of the things that was noted in that interview was uh, Imperial Assault has been moved over into FFG's board game group, board and card game group. They have, they're split into two groups now. One's a One's board and card games, and the other one is the miniatures. And so the miniatures group has X-Wing, Armada, and Legion. And so promoting a skirmish game with Imperial Assault might provide intercompany competition with Legion, another miniature game. Right. And one and one they are very heavily invested in uh, to continue developing content for. Uh, so it could be that we're we're looking at not necessarily the end of Imperial Assault, but the end of Imperial Assault skirmish. Yeah, and we've kind of been speculating for some time that FFG doesn't really like doing organized play for Imperial Assault. We just kind of seem to be shunted off to the side for the past few years for our events, and it just seems to them like it's more trouble than it's worth. Uh, whereas with Legion, they're really kind of trying to push that as their new project. And also they have a kind of skirmish-like mode for Legion mm-hmm. now, right? So yeah, definitely they're going to focus on just the one miniatures game versus trying to organize events for both. And like you said, compete with themselves, basically. And, and just to jump in here, personally... I, I play Legion. I've I've bought in pretty heavily with with my son, and I enjoy I enjoy playing the skirmish mode of Legion. It's it's nice to be able to put up a couple of little armies and throw them at each other. It's not Imperial Assault skirmish. It's Absolutely. not. It doesn't. It does not have the same crunch and tactility of Imperial Assault, where a, a good competitive Imperial Assault game feels like. Uh, a high level chess match almost. Yes. 
and, and that's not that's not taking any way, anything away from Legion. There's a lot of strategy and and fun to be had in Legion. It's just different, and it scratches Imperial Assault Skirmish scratches that competitive itch for me more than Legion. I'm completely yeah, with same, you. Same here. Yeah, so it's it's it is quite interesting, but you you can see that FFG does run non-competitive events as well so arkham horror for example which is a game that we really love has occasional ffg official events and it's it's sort of a campaign game and that that would be neat if they did that for imperial assault too but the reality seems to be that if we do get anything it will be a couple of years and it doesn't sound like uh, a real organized play tournament scene is their priority at the moment so that that leaves us sort of in the same place we were before in some respects and i think i'd I'd really like to hear your thoughts on iacp's role in light of all of this sure the steering committee and i have been kind of had we're having ongoing discussions. Uh, we're trying to figure out what the future of Imperial Assault continuity project is going to look like. It's going to come down to what Asmodee and Fantasy Flight is going to do going forward. We kind of broached over the three possibilities that that I saw for the future. One, there's going to it's going to be IA 2.0. B, it's going to be current IA, but it's all going to be campaign and raid map, no skirmish. Or C, it's going to be IA 1.0 with everything, including skirmish support. So in that case, in that final case, and in the case of IA 2.0, if there's a skirmish, if there's going to be official skirmish gaming provided by the company, we're done. Right. The, 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 the project is over at that point because we can't expect a limited fan base of this type of game uh, with this intellectual property to be split across two different things. That's my opinion. Just to be clear, this is my opinion that I just don't see how IACP can go forward at that stage. There's just no fighting the company that can actually print real cards and Mm. print real rules and owns the dang game. (laughs) Right. And the thing is, there's also, do we even want to compete with them? Because we want the community, like you said, to be cohesive. There's no point in splitting it. Yeah. I mean, there's, we're all such a, a very passionate bunch, but we're all also very dedicated to this game. And there's very few of us. From the statistics that I get from the website ias-continuityproject.com, where you can go and download all of our rules and new cards and stuff, we average about you know 100 to 200 people uh, a week. Not necessarily the same 100 and 200 people, but we we average about 100 and 200 people a week, you know, coming to the site, downloading our PDFs. Whether or not they actually play it, whether or not they are contributing to the project in other ways, I can't really track that. But I do know that there is interest in this. and mm-hmm. it, But it's also not like we have 10,000s of people doing this. So we are a hearty, viral crew. So in, in the first situation you talked about where FFG may or may not eventually come out with a 2.0, we still have quite a few years and a large gap to fill there. Uh, so e- either way, I do feel there is a definite role for IACP in that we probably don't want to all just, you know, say goodbye for two years and <laughs> play other things and then come back. That's a little a little strange. The The most awkward one, I would say, would be if they released 1.0 content but very sporadically. So yeah. There was, yeah, randomly an expansion every two years. And we we kind of looked at it and how, how can we fit that into uh, running an organized play game when it's so infrequent, while at the same time, the fact that it exists makes it really hard to do all of these 
waves and changes in between. And they may they may tip their hand on what they're going to do if we see any sort of 1.0 release in the next couple of years. I mean, the if if they were going to stick with the 1.0 stuff, I can't imagine them not releasing at least one raid map a year and updating the app. Because when they refer to the, the fact that Imperial Assault still sells, that sells. That gets people wanting to play the game again. And we know that there's been some excitement around playgroups getting together again after so many after so many months. Oh, yes, got the new raid map. Let's try it out. Let's beat our score and stuff like that. And that's great. I'm really, you know, I'm really happy for them. But that will that will be the indication whether or not this is going to be them staying in this 1.0 rule set or potentially developing a brand new 2.0 version. Mm-hmm. So Chris, could you tell us a little bit about how the wave system has kind of worked so far? And I know there have been new miniatures released in the latest wave. I think a lot of people are ordering these off of Shapeways or, or using Legion minis. How has all that been going? Have you had any feedback about this yeah yeah we have there's been some players that are really excited with this they see this as a unique challenge to be able to represent uh, some of these new deployments that we've developed uh, in a physical space we have been working on like actual guidelines for what you can and can't use as an iacp figure it's it's something that we're still kind of working on. I was kind of hoping to get it up before Adepticon and then with COVID-19 kind of taking over everything, that kind of that kind of put these tournament type rules on the background for us. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, you know, not knowing if Fantasy Flight's going to take over OP in the future is kind of kind of puts those kind of tournament rules kind of up in the air. But the basics that we have been telling everybody is you know, as long as it can fit in a the one-inch square that you can set it down on a tile, it doesn't fall over. You can use what basically whatever you want. You know, and so a lot of a lot of players are finding unique ways to to do that. Some of them are going to the Shapeways route where they can have like a proper miniature to sand and paint, and then some people, you know, kind of have decided to use like Legos getting a, a Lego Yoda out and sitting down on a, on a little flat base uh, so that he doesn't fall over. I think that's great. Yeah. Uh, and then, then there's, we've heard some feedback from other players that are like, you know, we appreciate that you're making new content, but we don't have the time, don't have the resources and really just don't want to do this. You know, we have some of these old figures or whatever, but when you create something new, we don't feel like we have the time and the resources to make a proper physical figure. And that, that causes problems. And so that's something that we have been trying to look at as a potential, you know, solution would be like a print a token type situation. We've already gotten on our printable PDF, which everybody can just download from the uh, IA continuity project website on one of those PDF pages is a, token that you can cut out that's roughly the same size as a cardboard token that you would get from the IA core set. And so you can either, you know, take a little piece of tape and stick it on the cardboard token, or you can affix it to something else. Just so long as you can slide it around on the board, it's got a picture of Yoda on it that you printed. And so therefore it's Yoda. Now, I don't know if that's the, uh, the best solution to it, but it is the free and easy solution to that kind of situation. And then there's some players that are like, well, we would just rather there be an officially printed product that we can purchase, and then we don't have to worry about it. And I'd be like, yes, but unfortunately, I'm not Asmodee, and I'm, you know, and and neither is the none of my my council members are Asmodee. And the, once we do that, once we start pretending that we're Asmodee and providing those kind of things, Asmodee is going to come in and tell us you're not Asmodee, and then we stop. Right, right, right. <laughs> you don't want to run into legal issues. Absolutely. <laughs> So, so, and for those people, you know, you mentioned it earlier, it's like, you know, some people just decide that they're going to go play another game because it, that those games are, are officially supported games and there's the, their companies are backing it with new materials that they can just go to a store and buy and they don't have to try to figure out 
you know, look at official rules and look at IACP rules. And that's okay. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly, I perfectly understand that viewpoint for people. And if they, if, you know, IACP trying to play Imperial Assault with our rules and, and the way that we're trying to do things, if that's just too much for some people, that's cool. You know, I'm, they're going to find something that they really love to play. And that's great. Yeah. I think, I think the whole situation with updating cards, printing cards, it's definitely a challenge. So we we tried to have cards printed and we, we gave them out at an IACP regional before. Mm-hmm. So getting getting the command cards to actually be shuffleable with the FFG ones was not so trivial. Yep. So so it's it's definitely it takes takes some effort. And I I don't know if there's some some better solution out there. Have you seen this uh, Star Wars themed Magic the Gathering game that somebody made? This is just a rethemed, fan made, uh, kind of no profit Star Wars skin of a Magic the Gathering draft set. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you you can you can just print this out and play it, and they're they're not making any money, so I guess they don't get in trouble. But they also have managed to set up some kind of printing service where you just click the button and it sends you to a, a printer who just just has all of the sets kind of ready with the print options and you just click okay i want this set and i want this set and i want this set and go and some somehow they've managed to sidestep all all of the ip issues i'm not totally sure how but that actually made it really convenient to put one of these sets together they're mining guild operation is is usually small enough to to be overlooked by the empire right <laughs> uh yeah that's actually something that i i had investigated in the past there's uh the the printing card service that that we have used for our uh our kits um has the ability to like set up a, a basically a template of cards that you can send the public a link to and you click on the link and you you order x amount of sets of the cards and then you get printed those sets and sent and gets mailed to you that would work great if everything was just deployment cards trying to replicate the back of a command card considering we don't have the original high resolution artwork for that has proven difficult the the best solution that i have been telling folks is that while we're doing season three testing and you're testing a command card that you print out on like paper or, or light cardstock, you can still buy the clear command card sleeves. Fantasy Flight still sells them in the appropriate sizes, and you can find little mini deck sized cards, uh, card sleeves like that online all over the place. And you can slide a printed command card into one of those sleeves with another actual command card so that the back all the backs all look the same, but the fronts might be a little bit different. Right. What I would like to do in the future. And again, this is, this is, you know, forward thinking. What I would like to do is set up one of those types of links. So that way you can print off 20 command cards or 30 command cards that they're all command cards sized have a custom IACP back, but are blank on the front. Mm-hmm. So that way, it, that way you can use those with existing command cards and whatever IACP command cards that we print. Ultimately, the command cards are going to be a, a, a an issue for this, whether we do straight up print and play or, or try to print our own. It's, completely improbable that we will ever have the ability or the finances to print every command card with an IACP back. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. So we're just going to have to be clever and and make do with what we've got and how we do it going forward. Right. Yeah. So there, there have definitely been some kind of uh, growing pains and lessons learned from all of this. Uh, So moving forward, are the do you have any insight for us on what the new IACP waves will look like? 
Are they going to be structured similarly to the to the previous ones in terms of you know having a lot of points adjustments with a couple of new figures uh, that might need Shapeways minis and also a couple of command cards or do you have some some different ideas now? Um, that I think we haven't really started on season four yet as far as like primary development is concerned. We've just brought in four new members the steering committee and I'm letting them get their feet wet with uh, everything that, that goes on behind the scenes. And I know that, that all four of them will have opinions of what needs to go into the next wave. And so I'm looking forward and there's already been a little bit of discussion about, you know, tweaking this deployment or doing this to this deployment, or we have to make the Mandalorian. We have to make the Mandalorian. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot of input in this, and what shakes out of that is going to be really, really exciting. If you want to put money down on anything, you can put money down on Mandalorian, Baby Yoda, and potentially more figures from the show, because I don't see how we can't do that. Oh, okay. Right. I'd like to kind of have our listeners kind of peek behind the curtain and can you discuss how you did your waves? Like what, what's kind of the process when you're designing a new wave? What kind of things are you thinking about? Are you thinking about, oh, we want the meta to go into this direction? Or are you thinking about what figures have we not seen in a while? What's kind of the thought process and what's kind of the step-by-step decision-making process that goes into, let's say, season three? Well, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, well, it's it's every wave has been kind of uh, a learning process as we go. For for those of us that have been part of this from the beginning, we gain experience with each wave, and we try to apply the lessons that we've learned from each wave to the next. With the first wave, the importance was testing the what the community would like in the sense of new, like, updated cards, not just point changes. But we introduced the the Diala change, uh, giving her a new elite card instead of her regular deployment card, and seeing if the community would bite on it. Also, we felt like it was important for that very first season to implement some sort of change to the hunter uh, and smuggler math. So that's why we implemented the on the lamb change, which we engaged with the community. Our initial attempt at nerfing on the lamb didn't go over very well. And so we we engaged with the community and got a, a version that most people find better. And same with the the assassination change. We had made a, a massive change to the to how hunters can spend cards and the community did not like that. And so we Went, you know, we spoke with them and, and talked to them. That was that was the wave that we learned that we really needed to talk to you all a lot about what's going on and what you all want. And then since then, it's been trying to gauge what the community is excited about, what they're interested about, and making sure trying to meet and meet those demands going forward. With this particular wave, with season three, there was a big interest in brand new deployments. And so we felt like this was the wave now to, to pull the trigger on that. That's where you got Yoda, uh, Zuckus and Forlom, and the Scout Troop. We also wanted to kind of keep making improvements in certain areas, like with the SC2M uh, Repulsor Tank. Uh, we had already done some changes to uh, to Imperial Massive Vehicles in, in the past, but we didn't get to th- that one. So now we wanted to get to that one. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to do we wanted to do something different. We were trying to get more engagement with the guardian type and all the figures that have that trait. And so we tried to develop some cards that would inspire players to play with them. And we can we can get into the success or uh, failure of everything uh, that has come out to this the season a little bit later if you want. But that was what was going on behind the scenes of okay we need to. How are we going to meet the the community's expectations and how are we going to 
try to find something that would be a little bit different and move the game in a different direction. Great. So it kind of started with a, how do we fix things that seem broken? So it was kind of spurred on right from the Spectra cell. That was obviously a really big priority uh, at Mm -hmm. the very start. And then the thought process was, okay, how can we kind of tune down things that seem overpowered and that is seen too much. So that was kind of the hunter changes. And then after that kind of moved more towards what are people going to be interested in rather than trying to nerf things that there are too much of, but instead presenting, oh, these are some new and exciting toys for you to play with. And I think that's a really cool uh, strategy. Thank you. And it's, you know, there's so much existing content for Imperial Salt that you can still find on eBay and, and Amazon and, and all these other places. Figures that that have, you know, maybe been played a little bit in skirmish at one time or another, but do not see, cannot be played now because they're so woefully underpowered. And so being able to bring those up to a near competitive or com- definitely competitive level allows people to breathe more life into this game. It's not interesting. And then this is where, uh, you know, Imperial Salt, the FFG version of, of Skirmish is right now. You go to any competitive tournament, you're going to see Weakways and lots of cheap hunters. You're going to see Vader. You're going to see Han Solo. Right, right. In IACP, you're going to see some of those things, but you're also going to see somebody playing Boba Fett. You're also going to see somebody playing General Weiss. You're going to see somebody playing the new uh, scum, uh, you know, Forlom and, and Zuckus. You're going to see, once we get Yoda right, you're going to see people playing Yoda and, and two Jedi, and it's not going to be Spectre Cell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, you know, adding diversity to the meta as opposed to trying to restrict the meta down to a previous level. That's... That's something I personally is one of my design goals. I'm not right all the time. Sometimes sometimes figures just need a price drop and they're fine. A lot of the figures that we did in season one got a price drop and they were competitive. But if you can tell, there's not very many just price drops that we have done since because whenever the conversation comes up of, oh, well, we'll just give this guy a price drop and he's fine. Then you do the damage curve. Then you do all the math. And you're like, no, somebody's still not going to play this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, all we're doing is just making it cheaper. You're, you're giving up less victory points when the guy violently dies. Yeah. yeah. So I want to ask about how do you decide on balancing? What are the conversations surrounding balancing before you release a wave? Well, it, we try to do as much internal testing as we can. Ultimately, that comes down to whether or not we can do internal testing on certain things because because especially with the last wave it got kind of compacted with a lot of real life things being impacted in my life and in Isaac's life and Jake is is in uh, law school and so his his life is majorly impacted by that so we do the best that we can when it comes to you know trying our own testing of stuff uh, that's not to say that we don't test and it's not to say that we we don't do analysis of how that figure might impact the board. Typically what we do is we'll make an initial design. We'll run it through many of, I mean, all of us that are on the skirmish council are experienced competitive players, some of which have actually won regionals and, and won championships. And then there's me. I usually just lose everything that I play. <laughs> Holla! Holla. So given that, you know, we use the tools that are available to us to uh, calculate odds for damage percentages and and defense percentages and stuff like that. We have a really good feel about what uh, how a, a figure can impact a game depending on the abilities that figure has. Give you kind of an example with season three. One of the things that we wanted to encourage a little bit more play of is stun. We didn't we didn't see a whole lot of stun being used, and we wanted this particular wave of, of characters to to have a little bit more stun. For some characters, that felt fairly natural. Like with Zuckus, according to the lore, his caster rifle has a like a stun net that it will shoot, and so it makes sense for him to be able to stun. 
and then other characters that have had stun for a while, like the Royal Guards, improving them, improving their overall attack math, improves their ability to stun. When we released this and, and folks started playing, some of the feedback that we were getting was the stun, it can be a little bit too oppressive. And so when we were designing that, we were looking at the combinations that we saw that you can make with those figures and saying, okay, well, you know, for the the elite Royal Guards, you're going to get this stun and you might be able to get them focused, but, you know, you're putting eight points into a, eight points into an Imperial list that is already super tight getting the 40 anyway. So we made the calculated risk of, well, let's go ahead and release these guys the way it is. And we have found that some of the stun can be a bit oppressive. The biggest thing being Dingar. We did the overall damage math. We thought he was okay for an eight-point hunter, considering that four- and five-point hunters can do ridiculous amount of damage. We thought an Mm eight-point hunter should be able to do a ridiculous amount of damage. But Dingar was putting too much pressure on opponents because not only was he doing normal hunter damage on things, but he was being able to oversurge and do stun and another condition onto Mm -hmm. the figure. And that, that... change the game too much we want harmful conditions to be used and to to cause board state change we don't want it to be super oppressive right and so once we started getting the the feedback about dingar we took a look at the overall numbers we took a look at what we wanted him to be and we decided that for him if he's going to put down those harmful conditions then he should do it with a reduction to his attack output And so that's why we've made the change that we did where he no longer got the extra surge. Mm -hmm. His dice should guarantee at least one surge on a roll. I mean, the odds of not rolling a surge on his roll is like 2% or something like that. But at that point, you're also doing six damage. Right, right, right. (laughs) So so that's kind of the, you know, kind of went a, a long way around to get to what hopefully I'll summarize here. We try to take things that we find exciting or try to make things that are that we think you all will find exciting. And we try to balance them the best to our ability, but we're only seven or eight people. Yeah, of course. And so eventually, eventually you all are going to get it out and you all are going to play with it and you're going to go, oh, did you know this was broken? Well, maybe, maybe we did, maybe we didn't. <laughs> but ultimately what's, what's great about the season format is we can take your feedback mid-season and go, okay, yeah, this is wrong. We'll fix it. And we get to the end of the season. Oh, well, this is still not great. We'll let this guy go to the next season, just like we did with Boba Fett. Now, I think this is really cool. I like how the testing league is like kind of like the Wild West, you know? like <laughs> Yeah. And I think there's a lot of players that find that part of IACP very compelling. Finding things that are broken and playing around with them and having a laugh about it, I think is really fun and puts a lot of life into the game. Yeah, and but we also don't want to abandon the people that want a stable competitive environment right yeah that's why we want that's why we've established what we call like uh, the iacp approved cards versus what comes out in a season and so when i I know it seems kind of silly to separate the the player base like that but when we want to have like that good old fashioned competitive game, we want them to have it with cards that we've all tested and we all feel like are in a right spot. And so things that have been labeled IACP approved are 99% not going to change ever again. Those are the changes that we will build super competitive tournaments around. And you can still have a competitive tournament using the season stuff, everybody's everybody's going to go into a season tournament knowing that it's the wild, wild west and people might like that more. But we definitely want to cater to the people that are like, I want to have as fair and a balanced of an experience as possible. And we're trying to provide that with IACP approved. I think that's a really good kind of segue into talking about organized play mm-hmm. because we have had a lot of feedback that people didn't want to run the season content at sort of live regional events and i think people generally had a really good time but it was just frustrating to have practiced a list and found something you really like 
and then suddenly hear that you know you're not allowed to use the command card or the specific deployment isn't used so that's that's very understandable and I think we are mainly catering to competitive skirmish, right? Where currently ICP is not making campaign missions, for example. So what are what are your thoughts on how organized play has gone so far? I know there have been challenges with kits, for example. There have been challenges with running the season content versus the approved content. Yeah, so just... Generally, how's all that gone and what can we expect? We had to take a running start at organized play. It was something that we thought we would we'd get to eventually. And when Isaac came on board and showed a real passion towards running organized play, you know, and getting people to play, that was something that I felt like, okay, let's go ahead and spend some energy doing that. And of course, neither Isaac or I or any other member of the, the steering committee, none of us are professional game developers. We're all just doing this out of a love of the game and because we enjoy managing a game like this and we're trying to get reps. And so we're not perfect. And so trying to figure out how to manage a live beta test of a game and separate that from a competitive side with a dwindling player base has been very difficult. One of the things that we tried to do with encouraging like organized play and physical gaming events is that we've developed a a couple of kits that have like custom art cards for uh, like a smaller event, what we call our community kit, and a larger event, which is what we call our regional kit. And so we had to go through a bunch of growing pains concerning the production of those kits of which have, you know, severely severely impacted the ability to fund other kits. So where once we kind of get through that fumble, we'll be looking at the next thing that we can do. But it also depends on we don't know what to do with with funding overall, whether our funding if we do get funding, whether that should go into kits or if it should go into kind of a a more Patreon type situation where you you will get cards every so many months by funding us you know how do we make those physical events happen when one there is a, a dwindling player base that only really in the UK there's like like you guys will have like 10 to 15 people for your events whereas over here in America we're lucky to get like 4 to 6 that's been one thing that we're we're trying to address and then also, you know, trying to find stores that are willing to go along with this because we're taking up player table space at a gaming store for a game this store owner is not going to make one cent from because it's out of stock. Right. And it's no longer on his shelf. Mm-hmm. And so how do we convince people to let us do that? Well, you can rent tables. Great. Will we come up with renting the tables? You know, are we going to tell all these people, hey, this is a great game that you can play, but you're going to have to come here and pay $5 to do it. You know, it's those are the kind of challenges that we're looking at right now, where if we try to compare ourselves to proper organized play support, we will fall short. And so what we're trying to determine, and this is this is something I hoping I'm hope the community will give us a bunch of feedback on. We're trying to look at what they want in physical or online play support. I think we'll be okay with digital online play support. We have some ideas that are fairly cheap and easy to implement, but as far as physical online play, supporting that in however way that we need to support it, we're looking for good ideas. Mm-hmm. So I, I know that um, Isaac's been running a lot of learn-to-play events and getting a couple of new players in. And I think in the UK, we actually do have quite a good amount of new Imperial Assault players who are mainly uh, exposed to IACP rather than the Fantasy Flight version already. Mm-hmm. So that's that's quite interesting. And it, it kind of reminds me a little of the war core system that Infinity has, where you really need the local community ambassadors to build build up the player base and and somehow reward them with with something (laughs) i'm not sure what right so that's one of the things that we kind of run into we want to reward those those champions 
of ours. And so our initial impression was, okay, well, we're going to make a kit that is very similar to FFG's kit. It's going to have nice looking printed cards. It's going to have tokens. You know, it's going to have other prize type stuff in it. We're going to have a trophy, you know, that kind of stuff. We thought maybe that would, you know, encourage somebody to go, okay, I can run this event and have a lot of fun with it and give out all this stuff. What we found is not so much in the UK, but in the US, you know, the organizers left with half the cards, you know, and, you know, once you get like two copies of a Kane Somos, you don't really need a third. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at is, you know, what can go into these kits that are a something that we can easily afford or get funded and b reward everybody but especially those who are champions out in the field and trust me i really 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 want those people to keep wanting to play this game and keep wanting to champion it we just recently had on uh, the imperial assault uh, continuity project slack which is at zion's finest slack we recently had like three new people show up in the last month and that doesn't sound like a whole lot but it is we have one person that's in Toronto that has been very active in our chat and very passionate. And even though some of the things that he says is, you know, we have to all go back and forth about and discuss him bringing energy to the project is important. Mm-hmm. And we need more people to bring energy to the project. And I want to reward those people for wanting to bring energy to the project. I'm just not 100% sure how. Yeah, so I, I think that's that's quite interesting. Uh, you mentioned that people end up with a lot of useless cards that they don't really need. But we have the same problem with the FFG kits, you know? I think I, I know everybody has 100 dobacks at this point. <laughs> <laughs> there's just certain cards where you have stacks and stacks of them <laughs> uh yeah it's it's nice but they they overprinted some of those those quarterly kits for sure i i wonder if uh a prize wall type of situation might be more effective in in that you can excite people by letting them make progress towards cool stuff that they want but you you also don't need to do the thing where you you print you know 16 copies of of this tier prize and eight copies of this tier prize and kind of flood the the reward pool as it is right. when very few people show up right Right. Yeah, prize wall would be an interesting solution to that. That would be something that we could take a look at. Where I get hesitant with prizes is things that FFG can do and get away with that we definitely can't. Like the biggest thing would be dice. Right. People people would love for us to print custom dice and there are companies out there that will, you know, let you upload templates and carve carve that those symbols into a die of whatever color color and ship those to you but we have no way of knowing whether or not those dice will be remotely fair it's one thing when ffg admits that you know the the x-wing dice aren't exactly fair because they're the big company and they make all the rules it's another thing when this little outlet is going yeah buy these dice and they might be better when might be worse you don't know <laughs> Well, the, the dice you get for winning tournaments should be weighted worse, right? <laughs> to give you a little bit of a handicap. <laughs> Just roll no dodges ever. That's right. <laughs> How has it been going with the testing being on Vassal? Especially now that we're all stuck at home, I think we have a big opportunity here to bring the community together because we can all get together on Vassal when we can't get together in person right now. I agree. And we've been trying to do some more online gaming stuff. Uh, obviously, uh, Noah has uh, organized his stay-at-home worlds. Uh, that we that's going to be just FFG only. It's not IACP cards at all. Mm-hmm. And so that's running on this coming Saturday. And then we've got the IACP regional coming up on Sunday. Uh, that was going to be the Sunday at Adepticon. And we're going to continue. Uh, that's one thing that I feel, I personally feel very confident, more confident in is that our online component is very set. Uh, Trevor, who uh, manages the uh, the skirmish vassal module, he has been a fan of this project since day one. And he has made sure that IACP materials have been in the skirmish module since 
since day one. And we've been able to keep list builders updating their uh, content with ICP content. So it makes it easier for you to build a list online. And we have a, a challenge uh, community uh, that I invested in uh, that will allow us to start setting up like tournament games. And this is something I would like to see going forward is you know, maybe once a month, once every uh, once every two months, have a have a tournament game where everybody plays on roughly the same day, and we will have national stats or international stats that will track with you through the challenge page. So if you you know win out one tournament, you might be ranked number three in the world for a while. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So are, are you playing in either of the events coming up this weekend, Chris? Yeah, I'm playing both. I will probably not win a game in Noah's. <laughs> I, and do you want to do you want to know what I'm playing? Yeah, sure. I you can't we won't you can't delete this, this podcast once I tell you. <laughs> I, I will will not. <laughs> I can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> I am playing Specter Cell. I am playing the fixed Specter Cell. Uh, Sam Sweeten uh, had a, a great Spectre Cell run in LVO, and I saw that and I said, I want to do that, but I am not as good of a player as Sam is, so I will probably lose every game, and every player will be like, yes, take that Spectre Cell, like it was some big, great release. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I actually find myself rooting for Spectre Cell now that it's it's been nerfed. So I, I hope you do well. Yeah, well, I I hope I do too. But uh, the Sam proved that the math can still be there. His decision to run extra armor and use the same kind of defensive command card build that Brett used for the the. 2019 championship that proved that Spectre still has a, bun- a bit of punching power and can stick stick around in a, in a fight. So you still have to watch out to get you know overrun by him. Yeah. And are you are you running Spectre Cell or a similar list for IACP as well? I'm still up in the air. I've been fooling around with a couple of Yoda lists, but I'm not completely sold yet on what I want to do. There's just so many things that we have made that I have not yet really played with. So I might end up just taking something like that and getting like four games in and and seeing how well I do against, you know, people that are wanting to win. (laughs) Now for the IACP event coming up, is it going to be season three content or is it IACP approved? So we decided, and Isaac was a big advocate on this. And I say that as in not so that you all blame him, but, (laughs) but, but he's right about this. It, this is a great showcase for what we have done and what we are doing. And we really wanted people to be able to play Boba Fett, to play Yoda, to play Zuckus and Forlom, to play a Dingar that is actually worth eight points. And so we elected to potentially have some of that Wild West unpredictability with this event. Now, going forward... When we have a, a high-level event or something that we're working in the terminology, something I call premier event, those will likely be locked down to just IACP approved. But this event in particular, we wanted everybody to come and have the whole kit and caboodle waiting for them, including season three. Okay, yeah, that does clarify things quite a bit because that's something that I was concerned about is that if you have if you want to actually have really high level competitive play you want to have that kind of stable element and feel confident that it's balanced and you don't want to be kind of upset when you're you know you have all these crazy things or everyone ends up playing one thing because it's a competitive event and they want to win uh, so that's something that kind of we want to keep an eye on mm-hmm. how has the meta been shaping up for season three well it's been kind of interesting um obviously i had discussed earlier about the effect of stun yes and we want stun to be part of the game but we don't want it to be controlling the game we don't want it to be overbearing on, you know, especially lists that have mostly unique figures. Right. And so we're, we're keeping our eye on that. But uh, lists that are built around figures that can give out multiple stuns or and utilize thick cards like Punishing Strike on the mercenary side, uh, those have been pretty strong. 
people are still trying to figure out what to do with the Royal Guards. There's been some uh, interesting lists that I've seen played that have Royal Guards and the Emperor paired up, which was what you would expect anyway. (laughs) And then also some funny janky things where the Imperials will bring in an Ugnaught, pop out a droid, use a an ability to destroy the droid, which will give give the uh, Royal Guards the forward vengeance focus. So there's those kind of things that are running around. Obviously, the SCM-2 uh, tank is actually pretty good with Imperial retrofitting. I wouldn't necessarily put it up on uh, the same level as the ADDP, but it's very close. Uh, a player who can utilize it to assassinate things off the board because you will be getting that double attack after the free move is really interesting. We just made a change to Yoda and I haven't had I haven't seen um, enough data yet from that to indicate whether that was put him into being viable or not. But on the rebel side, trying to get Yoda working with force users that are melee attackers. Is a, is, a, is a big importance of ours. Mm-hmm. And so trying to get that to the right level, that's what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, one of the things we'll be focusing on for the rest of Season 3. Otherwise, on the Rebel side, uh, you see some excitement with them bringing in mercenaries for the first time because now right. Saska Teft is playable. And she's not terrible. She's not great, but at least her attack if if she if you are doing the it's the late in the game and I've got nobody else to focus I can focus her type shot she'll do a couple of damage you know and more importantly she'll be able to bring in somebody like an Onar or a Greedo or a couple of Weequay that will match up really well with Han. Yeah, and she's got that spy tag, which is really nice. Yeah. One of the things that we've been doing on the website for the last week is several of us uh, committee members have taken a look at what we've found as strong or interesting season three lists. And so we uh, posted, I believe it was Imperial last week, and the Mercenaries went up this week, and Rebels should be up here in the next couple of days, hopefully before our regional event on Sunday. If you all go to ia-continuityproject.com, you'll be able to find those articles and maybe see something that inspires your list-building itch. Oh, nice. Excellent. Any other topics you guys wanted to talk about? I am still excited to be part of IACP. I'm really ex- I'm still excited to be part of this community. You know, I don't know what Asmodee's plans are. And the sooner they can be more clear about those plans, the sooner that we'll know what happens to IACP. Yeah. My wish is that we find some sort of tightrope that we walk that our community can thrive while Asmodee redoes IA and only makes all of us want to play that and play our game both. Yes. That's the the wish, the pie in the sky kind of thinking that I'm I'm trying to go down. It will likely not be that. But until it gets to that point where we know that this project is over, you know, I just want everybody to to feel like when they're doing all this stuff, they're having fun. The game is fresh and they feel like every second that they spend in this project playing games is just worth it. Absolutely. Definitely. Thanks for joining us, Chris. I think this is a really interesting discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Sorry to to ramble a little bit about this, that, and the other, but if your listeners have any questions or or what have you, uh, they can contact me or another member of the steering committee. You can go to the website and uh, find, you can comment on any of the, the blog posts. Uh, you can email us at iacontinuityproject at gmail.com. You can also jump on the Zion's Finest Slack and join our IA Continuity Project channel where we discuss everything. As we go forward, like I said, we should have some tournament regulations out soon, as soon as I can get them finished and get them all approved by everybody and having everybody have the right input on them. We will likely have those to be reviewed by the community first and make sure that we don't overlook something before we say these are definitely the rules. And, and so I would love for your listeners to have a stake in that and a stake in, in how this project's going to go. The, the best way to do it is to be active and be vocal.
you know, the more that we hear about something, the more we'll know that that's where the community wants to go. And the more that we all discuss stuff, the more that we'll be able to find a path that meets the expectations of most everybody. And that's what I want. That's what I want to see. I want to see all of us marching forward, having fun together until either FFG shuts us down or until we all get tired of this. Or, you know, we all die. Oh, or we all die of COVID-19. One of the three. And even then, you know, even then we might be zombies pushing little mini little plastic men on the board. So oh, that's I don't right. Know. That's right. Well, thanks, Chris, for coming on. It was really interesting to talk to you. And thank you so much for all of your work with IACP. It's really super appreciated. Well, thank you all for taking your time to promote this game that everybody thinks is dead. Uh, your your love and your passion for this is one of the main reasons why our project can, can do anything. So thank you all. Hooray! All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. See you next time. Good night, listeners. Bye, y'all.